the school promotes so much that they care about its students and the well-being of its students, yet students can't afford to come here because they're raising tuition. I think they have to, they have to if they're not going to drop it, they at least have to freeze it for now and let people plan for their futures accurately without having to figure out and guess what AU's tuition is going to be in the next four years. I feel like it shouldn't be that way, like I shouldn't just be looked as, as a number, but as a human being that is just trying to get an education. Welcome to Beyond the Byline, I'm your host, Evan Margiota. The audio you just heard was from protests that took place outside the library the day the Board of Trustees voted to increase tuition. So this week. We're taking a look at AU's financial future, what it can mean if the university continues to raise tuition by 3-4% each year. And later, a farewell profile of women's basketball forward Cecily Carl and a look at how student-athletes balance academics and sports. But first, in the midst of student protests, the AU Board of Trustees voted to increase tuition by 3% for the next two years. And that's actually a slight drop from previous years. This steady price increase prompted the Eagle to take a deep dive into how AU makes its money. Ayla Cheffy has been leading that investigation and sat down with me to talk about the financial challenges that AU is facing. Just to start from the beginning, what we learned is that for the next two fiscal years, tuition is going to be increasing by 3%. This is just a projection for the next two years. Um, we don't really know what it's going to be like years to come. But the trend that AU has seen is around like a 4% increase every year in tuition. Is increasing tuition at that rate sustainable? So if it continues at this rate, tuition is going to be an absurd amount of money. The big number that was projected was $113,000 in 2040. That sounds bad, but should I be panicking about paying six figures to go to school here? I do not think students should be panicking. Um, it definitely is alarming that tuition is increasing, but I really do believe that administrators recognize that people are not going to be able to attend at you if they keep increasing at this rate. I think that students should just keep voicing their concerns, talk to the administrators, talk to people who can actually have a say in these types of situations. Um, because especially in the strategic plan, um, methods are being implemented to counter this increase. But what actually are those methods that are going to protect students? Um, it's a bit unclear. So in Sylvia Burwell's strategic plan, she outlines kind of her goals. The biggest thing right now is endowment. So we have a very small endowment compared to other um, universities. Wait, what is a university endowment? So a, a university endowment is a sum of money that is donated to a university from either alumni or outside sources for the purpose of investing in the university. And what did you mean when you said our endowment is small? AU's endowment is very small compared to schools that other AU students apply to. The endowment for AU right now is $622 million. And when you compare it with a school like GW, which is $1.7 billion, it's very small on that scale. So how do we build that endowment? To find out, we brought in a student who happens to know a lot about the administration and the university's finances, Valentina Fernandez the outgoing student body president who previously served as the student trustee. Hearing sort of the nuanced conversations about our endowment and where we are compared to our peers, uh, how we really can't afford in some ways to, you know, have a tuition freeze was really eye-opening because we're such a tuition-driven institution that 
any sort of tuition freeze would actually end up harming probably the students that need it most, whether it's through cuts in student support services or financial aid, because that's where all of the pool of money and the revenue comes from. I think what I saw in the boardroom, and I've continued to hear in conversations with admin and everything, is more of an intentional effort to engage more in fundraising, um, the capital campaign that's going to be kicking off in a couple months with President Burwell, in order to say a really long-term goal of diversifying our revenues and being less tuition dependent. To read more of our coverage of AU's finances, visit the specials section of theeagleonline.com. Also in the news this week, a video of a student saying the N-word went viral on social media. Following the incident, students called for black houses and spaces on campus. And AUSG Student Union Board announced Haley Kiyoko will headline AmFest on April 20th. And students spoke out against rape culture at the annual Take Back the Night event. Finally, for our second story, Muhammad Hashish joins me on the podcast to talk about one of the stars of the women's basketball team, Cecily Carl. Her experience as a student athlete is a great window into the balancing act between academics and sports. So you've wrote this piece on Cecily Carl's legacy to the women's basketball team. Can you talk about how big of an important piece she's been to that team? For sure. So. Since getting to AU her freshman year, Cecily immediately saw playing time. She came in with the person at her position having torn her ACL while Cecily was a freshman. So she played in all 31 of her first games and started in 20 of them. And she continued to progress the past three years. And she really came around these past two seasons, improving a lot on defense as well as her shooting, which had always been good coming in. And these past two years, her coaches, her fans, and her teammates would consider her the key component in winning that Patriot League title in 2018 and being back in the championship game this past season, as well as qualifying for the WNIT and March Madness. So I understand that she earned both the Patriot League Player of the Year and the Scholar Athlete of the Year. How is that evidence of how she excels, not just on the court, but in the classroom as well? It's really impressive, and I think it says it in the title that Cecily is one of those examples of the epitome of a student athlete. She was able to finish her bachelor's degree in accounting in three years while balancing her basketball career as a student athlete, which to me and to most people is extremely impressive. And in her final fourth year on the basketball team she was attending AU as a master's student in sports analytics and management. It's really a testament to her hard work ethic and always wanting to improve and knowing that while basketball is important to her that what she does with her degree and at school is equally as important for her future. So I think this gets at something bigger too about the experience of student athletes on campus. How are they going about balancing a intensive sports career with also their academic studies? Yeah, so 
it's it's hard. Players have practice, they have games, they have workouts. While the players deserve an extreme amount of credit for just being able to balance school and sports consistent sports i think a lot of credit has to go to the athletic department and their work with academic departments across campus and ensuring that their players don't fall behind in class because of their sport coaches understand how important getting your degree is and excelling in the classroom is as well as doing well on the court and they don't want either one to overpower the other and they need it to be at a good balance for that student to be able to succeed in the future. Thank you all for listening and thanks to Aylet and Muhammad for being on the podcast. Beyond the Byline is produced by myself and Sasha Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or comment and have a great week.